This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. The deal you've been waiting for is on now. Ford employee pricing. Details at MetroMotors.com. Time to go rink wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Berg and Andrew Wadden. And welcome to Rinkwide. It's the show that always scores. Andrew Wadden alongside my co-host, J.D. Burke. We got a big show for you today. Still a line for Matt Sakaris there. We got Harmon Dial from The Athletic in Vancouver, of course. Vancouver Canucks reporter. He's a regular on the show. He's going to join us around 1.30. Then we're going to ride the bus to Utica in the second segment. Talk to Joe Roberts, the uh, play-by-play voice of the Utica Comets. Some interesting stuff always to get to when it comes to Utica. And then Amanda Stein is going to join us, the uh, New Jersey Devils in-house reporter. We're going to get the uh, tale of the tape, so to speak, for the opponent for tomorrow, who, as Jeff Patterson told me a moment ago, really owns the Canucks right now. Was not Something well, I didn't expect. Was like, not aware of that. Like Winnipeg yesterday when everybody was dropping the splits and, and bringing up the fact that the Canucks cannot win in Manitoba, I was like, well, that kind of makes sense. I mean, like the Jets are a pretty good team. Is that stat just in Manitoba? It's, or just, in it's Manitoba. just in Manitoba. Yeah. Okay, okay. And of course the Canucks last win in Winnipeg was with who else? Tortorella at the helm. Like, sure, why not? Why not? Like, yeah. that's that was what? Five, <laughs> six years ago? Okay, sure. Ten straight, the Devils have beaten it. I believe that's what Jeff said. Ten straight. Something like goes back like four years or something like that. They only play each other twice a year anyway, right? Uh, that's pretty yeah. interesting to see. So that, that's, that's the show for today. Of course, we'll get to uh, uh, JD's manifesto later on in the show, and uh, we'll give you the road ahead at the end of the show, which basically is just a, a look at what's happening for the Canucks as they uh, get into, well, a pivotal stretch. Next week's going to be tough uh, with it all starting tomorrow with that matinee game against the Devils. Then they've got uh, the Preds on the Tuesday. They've got Dallas on Thursday. Then they got Colorado on Saturday, all home games, four-game homestand, and then they'll hit the road after that uh, for the Canucks. Let's drop the puck, though, Mr. Croker. Time to drop the puck and get updated on the top stories of the past week. <laughs> Love it. That little soundbite combined with the Metallica, I mean, that is just... So intense. Pure genius. I love that. Uh, the Canucks 0-2-1 this week. They lose... What is that? It's the back half of the same intro. Oh, okay. I probably cut it off before then. <laughs> I, th- I, I was like hoping- the little pause between the two segments yeah. there. It's like, okay, we can get on with the show. Croker, absolutely not. I- you will not be having the show today. I just want to hear that guy tell us to drop the puck again. Uh, 0-2-1 this week for the Canucks. They uh, drop one in overtime to the Blues. Playing the Blues really well this year. Obviously, they get a, a W the first time the two uh, teams met. And then they go on that little mini roadie there uh, through Chicago and then in Winnipeg last night. They drop a, yeah, which was a good one in Chicago, 5-2, losing to the Blackhawks. Uh, Chris Tanov leaves that game, uh, JD, and uh, from what J-Pat just told us, or just told me, that is, is that when he left the game, the medical staff in the United Center would not allow him to go back into the game. So when I hear upper body injury, and then I also hear something like that, I know he played last night. I know he had his struggles last night in terms of, you know, going to the dressing room, coming back, going to the dressing room, coming back. 
But doesn't that kind of say to you concussion protocol? Well, I, I, I does it? I don't know because well, I, what I, else would you? Why would you? Know, you know what I'm saying? Like, and he's able to play the next night. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, they're they're pretty rigid in their testing now, and and of course, there's absolutely room for growth. And I think the fact that Nikolai Ehlers last night didn't have to leave the game for even a shift uh, speaks to the fact that there's room for growth. But I'd like to think that the Canucks are going to handle Chris Tanev a little bit more uh, thoroughly than they would most prospects, most pieces, most players on the team. I mean, he's somebody who has proven brittle as balsa wood in these last five years and the canucks playoff hopes rest in part on the health of that blue line and i think that they're going to exhaust every resource possible in making sure that they have those players available to them especially given the workload i mean you were talking a lot about it on sports saturday that these defensemen are having to take on and you know it's really kind of an interesting dynamic here where they're they're walking a fine line uh to borrow a lord of the rings line they are walking on a knife's edge stray but a little and they will fall off and that's them right now with Chris Tanev and Alexander Edler. I mean, you look at the fact that Edler, we're, we're starting to see him kind of fall off. We're starting to see Tanev suffer the effects of injuries. We talk about the upper body one in Thursday. We talk about the fact that he blocked that shot yesterday and came back to the game. I mean, we're starting to see what we see every year. And now the question is, how do the Canucks react? We've heard about the additional depth that they brought to their blue line this offseason. We know that they have pieces like Brogan Rafferty, Ole Ulevi, Josh Tevez in the wings, even Guillaume Brees Ah, if you want to go down that road, like they have the pieces. Do they have the willingness to dip into that talent pool? That is what remains to be seen. I forget all about Brisebois. Well, I, you know what? I, I sometimes <laughs> wonder because there was like the, the two-year stretch of Brisebois, yeah. right? Where it was just like every time the Canucks got put in front of a podium, it's like we want to hear about the Canucks prospects. And, and we're thinking, you know, Elise Pedersen. We're going to hear about Ole Ulevi, Jonathan Dolan. And every time it would be like, yeah, well, we got this Brisebois kid in the wings. And it's like... <laughs> They seem oddly excited about this potential third-pairing defenseman. And then it's just like one day I'm imagining the PR team caught that and we're like, hey, Jim, you might want to calm down on this one a tiny bit. And we haven't heard about him since. Yeah. Like, I think he came up once this offseason, and he used to get talked about as, like, a future first-pair pillar. But, I mean, like, I, I you know what? On a serious note, he has been playing well for Utica. I'll give him his due. I had to take a second there and look up Balsa Wood, by the way, when you uh, when you gave, made that reference there. Used so. in uh, the construction of models. Gotcha. There you go. Um, so that brings me to the poll question, then, uh, for today. Do the Canucks need to implement load management with Chris Tanov and Alex Edler? Now, 76% of people in just over 600 votes are saying yes. Uh, I'm going to assume you are going to agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. And like I, th- I think that there's something to be said. I was having this conversation with Harmon Dial from the Athletic Vancouver who's going to join us in the second segment of this hour. And I was talking about the fact that when you talk to people in the industry... And and we were, we were talking about conversations that we've had this year with agents, with, with scouts... And sometimes they'll sound very articulate and very intelligent. And then Harmon and I will take a step back and we'll say to each other, wait a second, this is the problem. The problem is that they are at the top of this industry. The problem is that they're insulated by all of this groundwork that has been laid to make hockey the most insular, backward sport of the professional four in North America. What you need is an outside perspective. And I think what you're seeing right now is the fact that TSN 1040 services every sporting market in Vancouver. And you're seeing fans from other sports bringing forward-thinking ideas to the table 
things that wouldn't be accepted in a hockey strictly culture. And I think that speaks to the results that we're seeing. And I agree. I think it's well overdue for load management. At the very least, they have to stop playing them this much. And, you know, I was on a podcast uh, yesterday and was kind of, we were talking about the depth of the defenseman. And, you know, like Jordy Ben, he's been a very good defenseman for the Canucks. had his gaffes here and there. But in terms of just being sort of a steady Eddie back there, guy that you, you know, you can lean on a little bit. Somebody and, you don't notice for exactly stretches, it, it, what you need but, out of your third pair. But and that's but isn't that kind of Chris Tanov as well? Just the kind of guy that I know Tanov like loves to block a, a ton of shots and whatnot. But he's also that kind of guy that when he was sort of coming up the ranks with the Canucks, he was one of those guys you'd have on your bottom pair, especially on those good teams uh, back in 2011 and, and and so forth. But as he sort of progressed up and then moved himself up the lineup, Jordy Ben's one of those guys that you could lean on to do that for a game, perhaps two games, perhaps for a five game stretch, you know, to give these guys like Tanov and Edler that chance to be able to rest their bodies because, you know, like Jeff said too, like what is Tanov or, or Edler right now in terms of uh, uh, time on the ice? Like over Third 25 minutes? League. I've got him at sixth right now, so I don't know what Jeff is. I'm looking at NHL doc. Regardless, he's over 25 minutes mm-hmm. a game. That's a lot of minutes for what, a 33-year-old player? So why not take a look at, you know, putting a, a, a Fantenberg on that third pairing? Moving Ben up. Perhaps you dig down into to Utica and you bring up a Brogan Rafferty, who we have heard uh, pro scouts are really on top of right now. We can ask all of these questions to Joe Roberts, of course, uh, Utica Comets play-by-play guy who we'll have in the second hour of the show. But I'll ask you this right now. You know, would you feel comfortable, you know, putting guys like Rafferty, you know, like Sautner into these spots? I mean, if it meant resting Alexander Edler on occasion, yes. Then, then yes. I mean, like, this is the thing. I they want they want a free lunch. They want to just continue to do things the way that they have always done them, and they're hoping that this year, unlike the previous four or five, is going to be the one where all of their injury luck suddenly turns for the better. And I don't know why they anticipate that because it's not like nothing happened in the intervening four years. In those intervening four years, the players got older, the injuries got more pronounced. They're more likely with time to get injured, right? So just waiting for it to stop isn't the the proactive way to address the situation. The proactive way is to do something that we haven't seen in hockey yet. The proactive way is to be a standard bearer in much the same way that the Canucks used to be with Michael Gillis. And I know that people always get sick of this reference, but you think about the sleep doctors and how far ahead of the curve he was and how much derision he suffered for it. Well, you know what? Canucks were one of the best road teams during his stretch, despite having the most travel. So sometimes you have to put your name out there. Sometimes you got to stick your neck out if you want to rise above the, the pack. And I think that the Canucks have to show a little conviction and do that because Alexander Edler isn't getting younger. Chris Tanev's body isn't getting any less brittle. And expecting them to hold up over the course of this season, playing the minutes that they are playing, it's doomed to failure. Tomorrow's game. They have a full day off. They have a, a bit of a difficult road trip there where you have to go to Chicago to Winnipeg, back-to-back nights. Then you get a full day off here on the Saturday. I get the feeling right now that tomorrow is going to be quite telling in terms of where this team is at in terms of being a veteran-type hockey team. This is a day-to-day that they need to take to relax to make sure they're ready for tomorrow. And I'm worried that some of the players might not take that day and use tonight as a day to maybe blow off some steam. Whereas tomorrow, pretty pivotal game, considering that you've got a four-game homestand coming up here and you're coming off, you know, essentially three losses in a row. 
Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And you think about the the travel that they're just getting off of. They had the the three games in 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 five nights, right? That's a lot for any team to have to suffer. You think about the fact that they've got another road trip ahead of them in time. I mean, like this November schedule is going to be the real measuring bar for this team. And I don't think that they have to come out on top. They have to survive it. And part of surviving this month is coming out as healthy as possible because you know what? Look, I don't want to sound like a broken record here. I know what people are going to say if I if I bring up how rough December is. Oh, well, you said that about November. Now you're saying it about December too. The NHL is a tough place. It's hard to win. The Canucks are in the most difficult conference. Okay? Like, yes, it is a difficult set of circumstances in front of them. And I give them full marks for the fact that they banked as many points as they did in October when the situation was advantageous. Like, I'm not going to pick on them for picking up the points they should have. But this is the real test. And they don't have to come out of it a 700 team. They can come out of it a 600 team. But if they don't have their full complement of players by the end of it, their ability to, to make up ground down the stretch, when other teams are getting injured, that's what really matters. And I think that we're going to see how the Canucks hold up here, and I think that their medal is going to be tested. Hey, you're listening to Rinkwide with uh, J.D. Burke and myself, Andrew Wadden, here. With you guys for the next uh, hour 45 minutes, we're going to talk to Harmon Dial uh, from The Athletic in Vancouver in the next segment uh, as we go through the top stories of the Canucks uh, this week here. The Canucks have now fallen to third place in the division with 21 points. They're a point behind uh, Calgary. They're even with uh, with Vegas, actually. So they have exactly the same amount of wins, losses, and OTLs uh, than the Golden Knights right now. But yeah, it's a it's quite jam packed here. When you go from you know sixth in the conference to or in the division to first, that's just a matter of five points right now. And you know when you go through these stretches of games like they have in November, this is going to be the huge test. And you talked about just surviving it uh, health. But also, they got to pick up points on nights when they don't deserve to pick up points. Uh, last night, I would argue they deserved a point, even though the game 4-1 might not dictate that to you. But they played well enough to pick up a point. Tomorrow, you know who deserved it? Thatcher Demko. And you know, but you know who also deserved the two points was the other end of the uh, uh, of the ice, and that's fair, Connor Hellebuck. Very fair. Connor Hellebuck had himself a hell of a game. I talked to Jeff, too, about this in terms of you look at uh, Chicago and Winnipeg. You know? And I know Chicago is kind of going through, like at the end of their, you know, top being one of the top teams in the league cycle, but they still have those big stars. And when they were all hitting, you know, their core four was the guys that week or, or game in and game out that you could lean on. Winnipeg showed that last night. I know Winnipeg's had their issues with their blue line. Their goaltender stepped up. Kyle Connor stepped up last night. Uh, Shifley stepped up last night as well. This is where the Canucks need to be. They need to be those type of teams. Their guys have to continue to roll. They got to get some secondary scoring right now, but they cannot do it without that lotto line buzzing and being the guys that are driving the play each and every night. Well, I, I think if we talk about secondary scoring, I don't think we can overlook the importance of getting Sven Berchi back into the lineup. You know, what did you think of his game last night? I thought he was fine. Yeah, I like. I, I I'm not going to sit here and and talk him up as like the first star or whatever. But he had the best on ice shot attempt differential of any Canuck. There's a useless stat for uh, one of our antagonists in the the, <laughs> the text inbox, and I'd love to hear you chime in on that one. Ten forty forty. Email us live at tsn ten forty dot ca. We can take phone calls uh, right we can now take too. Phone calls too. Yes. I mean, I I know I got a lot of fans out there, and they're eager to connect with me. Six zero four two eight zero ten forty or. Uh, 
want eight four four eight seven six a ten forty. That's toll free if you guys want to chime in here. But yeah, I, I still think the Canucks are, are trying to figure out how to make that middle six click. What's really concerning for me is that the best iteration of the middle six cannot work. Like they can't build the best possible second line because as soon as you take Josh Levo off of that Sutter line, some of the underlying numbers show that Brandon Sutter is among the worst centers in the NHL as soon as you take Josh Levo out of that line. And I want to see a Josh Levo, Sven Berchi, Bo Horvat second line. I think that is the best group the Canucks can assemble with the talent available to them. How they get to that point is the real question here. And I do wonder if we're at a point where, look, I talked about this last, last week, proactive teams get in front of things. Sutter's value right now is as high as it's ever going to be. If the Canucks aren't exercising the trade market and looking at what they can get to clear up some cap space, to clear up some room for Adam Gaudet, hey, what about Tyler Madden? Maybe not at the end of this year, but at the end of next. Like You have to get in front of this stuff. And I just I keep looking at that middle six. I keep seeing one square peg trying to fit into a round hole, and it's just not working. Yeah, the only problem that I have with, you know, Brandon Sutter in terms of trying to deal him is is that contract. I mean, at, at 4.375, you still got another year left on the deal as well. I mean, at 30 years old, he's not, you know crazy old, but at the same time, you know, those numbers don't really add up when you look at the production, and then, of course, when you look at the underlining stats with Sutter as well. And, and the league's not stupid. They, they know that. I, I think you can trade anybody in the NHL. Hey, Wayne Gretzky got traded. Eric right? Branson got traded for a second time. Like, yeah. seriously, and the yeah. Penguins didn't... Dion Phaneuf got traded at one point. Like, again, yeah. without salary retention. Like, yeah. it, it happens. Yeah, but like, that, if but you get again, creative, you can make it happen. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm curious about, uh, you know, whether they actually want to move on him, though. I think... They don't. They uh, don't. I know I, they don't. Yeah, I think they view him as, as I don't want to use the, you know, quote-unquote Jim Benning foundational the, the F word. <laughs> yeah, the F word. Because I, I, I get the feeling that... Player. There, <laughs> of course, Croker's got. <laughs> Why are you so on point with this one? And you were lagging behind him with Sports Saturday. Sorry, Come on, because he likes to work with. Yeah, me. I guess so. JD gets in here, he gets all excited. Uh, big star in the room. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, 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 I honestly believe that Jim Benning, you know, looks at Brandon Sutter as as an asset, not in terms of um, in a deal, in terms of an asset that he wants on the ice. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of a, a big problem then because that's $4.3 million that they could allocate better. That's a spot for Adam sure. Gaudet that they can't use. And we're talking mm-hmm. about Adam Gaudet. Like, they, this team has a lot invested in his success, and they're never going to get to a point where they get to see it over a prolonged period until he gets that shot for an extended look. Like, he, he, they, they keep shoving him into the lineup, shoving him out of the lineup, putting him down in Utica. Like, how can you sell this as a solid developmental program for a player that is supposed to be one of your premier yeah. prospects? And I would be okay with doing what they're doing with him if it was as simple as just, like, you know, sending him down the road to, like, you know, Abbotsford or wherever, you know, perhaps uh, they could move their AHL team. Like, if they had their AHL team closer, it would be a hell of a lot easier to do what they're doing right now with him. But when you got to send them all the way back east, you know, and then, of course, now that we're getting into the winter months here, you know planes are going to start to get delayed. I mean, Jeff had a de-icing in, in Winnipeg that delayed his flight uh, getting back. Uh, they have an airport in Winnipeg? <laughs> <laughs> Some people Shout out. Listen, I'm Shout not taking shots at Winnipeg. I'm not taking shots at Blake Price is going to come in here, kick down the yeah, door. Exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. Talking yeah. about his hometown and also yeah. uh, uh, Karen Sermon as well. So I'm not taking any shots at, uh, at Winnipeg. But it, uh, Adam Gaudet, though, a 10.2 
2C player uh, after this season. And, you know, maybe you'll have to explain to the people exactly what that is. But my point is this, is they control him ultimately uh, right now. But at the same time, like, if you're Adam Goddard, like, you, you know, I, I want to get paid. Like, I want a contract. I, I want to I know. Prove to me that I am a part of this team future moving forward and when you do have someone like Brandon Sutter there and of course Jay Beagle and of course as we all know Jay Beagle still got two more years after this year left I mean you're not really giving Gaudet the uh, you know the most confidence right now from the team no and and again like we can talk about the the ad advantages to the team of taking this one player out and, and again it feels like we're singling him out I'm just trying to come up with the best possible Canucks lineup Let's talk about the advantages from a development standpoint. You can't tell me that what's happening right now is is a positive for Godet, right? And and you look at these circumstances and you put yourself in Godet's shoes and you go, how much longer is he going to be happy going through this level of deployment? Right? It's it's something where it's like it, it's going to sour with the player, especially someone who they said, well, we like him as a center, we want to play him at center. Okay, well, this year we've been playing him at the wing, right? It's just been a whole lot of yo-yoing and inconsistencies. It's the type of thing that pushes a prospect away. And you look at this team and how many high-end prospects they've pushed away over the last few seasons. I mean, Palmu is good as gone. Uh, Jonathan Dolan is literally gone, and the player that they got for him is less than half a point per game when I last checked in the Allsvenskan, which is the second tier of Swedish men's hockey. They can't afford to lose these type of players. They don't have the volume to do it. So it's in their best interest. It behooves them to make things right with Gaudet, get him into the lineup, give him a shot. It's not like you're losing much to make it happen. All right, well, there you have it. That's our Drop the Puck segment. And on the other side, we will talk to Harmon Dow from The Athletic, Vancouver Canucks reporter. Keep it locked. It's rink-wide. It's the show that always scores, and it's on TSN 1040. Did you know you can get a breakfast sandwich at Tim Hortons anytime, morning, noon, or night? And for a limited time, try the new smoked sausage breakfast sandwich made with juicy, delicious smoked sausage. Enjoy Tim Hortons breakfast anytime with our new smoked sausage breakfast sandwich. At participating restaurants, hours may vary. This week, they get one overtime loss in a pretty hard-fought game against the Blues. But what is your overall analysis of what you saw in those three games? Well, I don't think the scoreline really reflects uh, or the record really reflects how the team overall played through the week. Um, if you start Tuesday night against the Blues, uh, the Canucks really, they, they push play at even strength. And uh, in a game where the Cup champions were on top uh, of their game, the Canucks responded really well. It was a tight-checking game. Uh, not a lot for the Canucks as far as space in the neutral zone. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot to work with as far as being able to attack with speed. Uh, both teams playing very tight and we talked about that playoff atmosphere. I think this is that, that game against the Blues was the type last year where they would have rolled over because typically Vancouver's offense has been so predicated on uh, on they need the space in the neutral zone to uh, to generate speed and, and create rush, in, rush chances in transition um, and you saw the Canucks able to adapt and because of some of the reinforcements that they've added on the wings, uh, because they move the puck better, because they're better defensively, they held their own really well and I think um, I think they were probably the better team in St. Louis. I think if you look at Thursday against Chicago, that was a bit of a stinker. Um, but then 
again, I think they responded pretty well in Winnipeg. Uh, you have to remember it was the second leg of a back-to-back. Uh, you're talking about three games in four nights. Um, and same thing for the most part. They outshot, outchanced Winnipeg at 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, the problem is they got to get those special teams going again as far as the power play. The entries have been uh, a big problem, but if you're consistently controlling play at even strength, that to me is the the biggest indicator. And I think uh, they were unlucky last night. Like to me, if if Connor Hellebuck really stole that game for Winnipeg last night, um, I think for the most part, uh, the, the team should be pretty happy with how it's pl- with how it played uh, uh, yesterday. But for sure, adversity is is coming now that they've dropped drop four of the last five yeah uh and and i mean you're the kind of guy that likes to look at the underlying data and and we asked on our poll question uh we started it on sports saturday and bringing it into rink wide as well do the canucks need to implement uh load management with chris tanov and alex edler now someone like yourself who does dive a little bit deeper have you seen any data that would reflect that this would work in the nhl Oh, well, I think we'd need to, I think there's research that would need to be done and I'm, and I'm not sure that there uh, have been a lot of case studies, but I think the, the biggest indicator is you can tell when a guy's worn out. And I think for, for Alex Edler last night, he was just, like he's been so effective through the early part of the season. He's a big part of the team's success. Um, but he, he just looked worn out. You could tell that, 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 that he was on the second leg of a back to back. He again skated over 25 minutes last night. Five more minutes than any other skater on the team. And he was just shot on both goals against. He didn't move his feet at all. Uh, he, he didn't move the puck well at all. In the third period, he had three bad pinches that each led to odd man rushes against that was a very ugly game for Edler and I think it goes back to the fact that throughout the course of the season so far he's sixth among all NHL defensemen and averaging over 25 minutes a night so he's playing more minutes than he did last year and when you think about it that that can't happen because you've substituted uh, Derek Pouillot, Eric Branson and Ben Hutton for Quinn Hughes, Tyler Myers, and Jordy Ben, you've got to balance the minutes out better because if not, you're going to get more performances uh, from him like you did last night. And and if that's Alex Edler that you're getting, this isn't like it, making the playoffs is uh, going to be a very tough challenge. So definitely, I think some level of load management needs to be implemented to cut his minutes down so he's fresher. Rink wide on TSN 1040. We're joined by Harmon Dial of the Athletic Vancouver. Harmon, I wanted to ask you, and I, like it feels as if we're bringing this player up every week. We're bringing him up every episode, every segment. He's kind of like Old Dobin of last. Last year, in fact, his last name starts with the same letter. I mean, there's a there's a similarity right there. And of course, I'm talking about Adam Gaudet. And and you look at his deployment through the last five games, in and out of the lineup, playing on the wing, not playing in what I would describe ever as ideal circumstances. Where do you see this heading? Like, at some point, they have to get him into the lineup for an extended look. I mean, he's not a spring chicken, right? We're talking about somebody one year younger than Bo Horvat. Where do you stand on this? That's the thing. I just don't think that the Canucks have really, to me, they haven't managed so far this year his development. Like, I don't see a plan in place because I think it was pretty evident internally uh, when you talk to whether it's Ryan Johnson or anyone else in the organization that they felt it would have been ideal for Goddard to start the year in Utica and play 20 minutes a night, all situations, round out his defensive game, his ability to win pucks back, uh, and become a 200-foot hockey player. But 
he had a great training camp and despite it not being the best thing for his development he started the year in Vancouver but more importantly he he was as you mentioned bouncing in and out of the lineup and uh, and now you're shifting him between center and wing and one one game he's playing with Bohor that the other he's with Brandon Sutter like there's no level of consistency with him um, and that's a big part of why his game has been so inconsistent. It's the, the circumstances and environment around him is is evolving so uh, at such drastic pace. It's never constant. It's tough for a young player to really work and iron his kinks out in a situation like that, particularly when you don't quite have the coach's trust yet. So for me, I think the Canucks have to figure out, okay, what's the plan for Godet? To me, I see right now uh, all four centers are healthy, and I don't see Godet right now as being a better option than Brandon Sutter or, um, or Jay Beagle. If you're strictly looking at the player, obviously, cost considered he'd be a a better asset than um, those two but right now he's not one of their four best centers and I think you have to figure out if if you believe that he's a long-term pivot then I think the ideal play is you got to get him back to Utica and let him dominate there um, play a few months inevitably injuries will come up or will arise and he'll draw back and then when he does get into the lineup hopefully it's for an extended period where he's not bouncing in and out of the lineup and he has a consistent role but to me the biggest thing is they've got to figure out what's the plan they've got to put something together and to me right now as it stands I, I think the ideal spot is Utica just because I don't see him uh, finding that role with with the log gem that they have um, up front right now. Rink wide, we're talking with Harmon Dial of the Athletic Vancouver. Well, I, I think you kind of touched on it there in your your discussion or your your language there as it relates to Adam Gaudet, which is the Canucks are having a difficult time building an identity with their middle six, and I think that he is kind of the poster boy for that. I mean, look at the team, look at the players available to the Canucks right now. That is the most glaring issue in terms of consistency, in terms of identity, in terms of finding a constant fit. What do you do with that group, Harmon? I mean, you, you leave the, the first and fourth lines alone. How are you building out this middle six in such a way that you can really tilt the ice in your advantage and start developing some secondary scoring? Right, and that's that's a million-dollar question because the Canucks have a lot of middling personnel to them, but they haven't quite found that right combination. To me, I think I think you got to give Berchi a long look with Horvat. He's shown that chemistry in years past. He has scoring touch. Um, after that, beyond that horvat Berchi duo, duo, it becomes tougher because I think the ideal fit would be a playmaker with those two, given that Berchi's more of a uh, of a finisher who fights, who finds the soft spots in defense and the in the defense's defense's coverage, and Horvat too. He's a bit of a dual threat. I wouldn't classify him as a playmaker, but the Canucks don't have that in their middle six right now. So I think um, you have to then think about who else adds a dimension to that line. And you can talk about speed with Jake Vertanen. I, I think. Uh, Josh Olivo is the better fit in that sense just because he's shown and he, and he did it again in uh, Winnipeg last night where uh, great back check and he wins the puck and he set Bo Horvat up right in front of the doorstep for what would have been the tying goal in the third period if Connor Hellebuck hadn't robbed 
Horvat. So to me, I see Levo as a player. He drives possession, uh, wins pucks back, uh, and he can do a lot of the grunt work for that line. And I think he fits with Horvat in the sense that he can thrive down low. So to me, I think Horvat, um, Horvat, Berchi, Levo is a look that you probably want to try with the second line. Um, and having said that, there's also the difficulty of Levo's propped up Brandon Sutter for the good part. Uh, of of the third line so far this season because of the aforementioned traits that he has with his ability to drive possession. So it's a really tricky task. And I think from the Canucks' perspective, as far as a long-term as a long-term fit, you might have to ask yourself as difficult as it is, if, if the scoring doesn't come at even strength, because Bo Horvat his Power play production has really propped his uh, point totals up. He hasn't really produced at five on five, and it's not really his fault uh, given the circumstances around him. But at some point, you might have to split that. Uh, as as much as I think it's been one of the best first lines in hockey, you might have to take JT Miller off that line just because you, if you can't find enough scoring in that middle six. You've, you've got to find a way to balance things out. And the way things work in the National Hockey League, I just, I, I, I think Miller is a great compliment as far as a lot of those traits I mentioned, as far as needing that playmaker. And I think that first line with Pedersen and Besser can still be very productive with Miller on it, even, um, even if they, even if he isn't on that line. So to me, I'd go with Horvat Berchi Levo as your second line, but if it doesn't work out within the next few weeks, you might need to shift Miller back down the lineup. Harmon, would, would Bo Horvat be better suited as a third line center? and perhaps the Canucks focus on trying to get a playmaking center to fill that second line? Uh, I disagree. I think if you look at um, a lot of what Horvat's accomplished uh, throughout the past couple of seasons, he's really matured as a two-way driver and someone who is capable of taking on the hard matchups. And uh, last year, of course, he puts up 61 points, 27 goals. So I think he's the type of player, uh, especially, I mean, you have to remember how, like, we, t- we talk about how tough the circumstances have been for him. Like, we're talking about last season, the hardest minutes of, of any center in the league as far as if you look at the matchups he had and compare that to the quality of his line mates. So I think really, even so far, we're talking about a guy who has 14 points or 17 games. I think he, if you're talking about his true talent level, uh, he could be a first-line center on mediocre teams. So whether you're talking about the the class of teams like Ottawa, Detroit, Vancouver in the past. So to me, you always want, if you have a low-end first-line center as your second-line pivot, to me, that's good enough to compete. And I just think, to me, I, I believe that he would really thrive with better line mates. He hasn't had that so far. And I think if you look at a comparable for that, Nika Zabinijad, uh with the Rangers, he he was in that sort of a similar situation as Horvat where uh, he was probably playing too many minutes and, and taking on tougher matchups than he should with subpar line mates. Um, and he's taken off this season with Panarin, um, 11 points in, in nine games so far. He looks like such a different player. And I think that's what we'll really see with Horvat as this team grows, whether uh, it's a Nils Hoglander or a Vasily Podkoles in the next two or three years. I truly feel that Horvat can be a really good second-line center for a cup-contending team. 
All right. Great stuff, as always, uh, Harm. Enjoy the uh, game tomorrow, and uh, I know we'll have you on uh, in the coming weeks. For sure, guys. Always happy to be on. Harmon Dial from The Athletic in Vancouver. Um, yeah. I mean, interesting stuff there. I, 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 in a perfect world, to have Bo Horvat as a third-line center and have a second play, like that would just be unbelievable. Yeah, but, but then like, you're talking uh, about like I the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, exactly. And they had like, Malkin, Crosby, and Stahl. Sure, like, like there's not many teams that have that much depth down them. I mean, look at Edmonton, for example. They would have that if they had Dreisaitl off of the line with McDavid, but we see how those two click. I mean, I mean if like, they had more than three competent NHL <laughs> forwards. Well, then. hey, listen, <laughs> that team that might not have three uh, competent NHL NHL forwards is sitting atop of the Pacific Division right now, yeah. uh, three points ahead of the Canucks. Just with, like I predicted, with a game in hand, of course. Yeah, uh, but no, <laughs> I I, really, I like that uh, the answer from Harmon there at the end. Of course, you know maybe it might take another year for uh, maybe not Pod Colson because Pod Colson's going to take a little while. Uh, Hoglander maybe you know maybe Hoglander's ready next year. We'll have to see. But yeah, inserting that like playmaking forward winger that can work with Horvat to be able to get Horvat to be because. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like I'm a I'm a big supporter of Bo Horvat, and I feel that he is a you know a competent second line center in the NHL. But man, if you could have him as your third line center, whoo. he does so much with <laughs> so little. And I think you, you might be seeing a little bit of exhaustion on that front, right? I mean, how many rotating casts of wingers has this guy had to deal with, right? And you just wonder at which point, like the Canucks are going to find uh, a steady set of line mates for him. It reminds me a lot of Ryan Kessler, except the the person. We're talking about isn't utterly contemptible. Yeah. All right. On the other side, it's JD's manifesto. What do you got for us this week? Oh, you know, I'm going to dip into Vancouver's kind of history here and uh, talk about the goaltending. Well, there you have it. Oh, goaltending. People love to talk goaltending in this town. Do Keep it locked ever. right here. It's rink wide. It's the show that always scores, and it's on TSN 1040. The Canadian Brewhouse is proud to present our Talking Can Lager. Simply order up a can for only $4.99. We crack it. If you hear my voice, <laughs> you could win thousands of dollars in cash and prizes, like gift cards, an Xbox, a barbecue smoker, a Google Home, or a new TV, just to name a few. And the consummate Talking Can compensation, $50,000 in cash, could be yours. Order your Talking Can today, only at the Canadian Brewhouse. Why you bugging? What's bugging JD this week? Let's find out. It's the Manifesto with JD Berg. All right, JD. It's on a platter. Oh, on yeah. the tee. I'm stepping onto my soapbox. I'm bringing it. Can you know what we're pot. talking about? We're going back old school. It's the early aughts right now. The team is giving us West Coast Express vibes as an on-ice product. I'm giving you West Coast Express vibes in the crease to a different exact end, opposite end of the spectrum there. We're not talking about Dan Kluche's inability to stop a beach ball. We're talking about two exceptional goaltenders who are emerging as grade-A starters at the NHL level, and those two players are Jacob Markstrom and Thatcher Demko. It's a good problem to have. And when you look at some of the underlying data, it bears that out. When we look at the NHL league-wide, Thatcher Demko is 12th in the goals saved above expectation. Now, what does this metric mean? They look at how many shots a goalie faces, look at the quality of shots that he faces, and how many goals he is preventing as opposed to a league average goaltender. Thatcher Demko, 12th in the NHL. Jacob Markstrom, not that far behind. Now, 
Am I arguing that the Canucks can get better goaltending out of Thatcher Demko over a prolonged period than they can out of Jacob Markstrom? Not necessarily. I wouldn't be so bold. But every now and then you have to take a risk. And the Canucks are looking at a situation where the risk in front of them is investing long-term in a 30-year-old netminder who just discovered himself as a starter or going all-in on the heir apparent. One of Jim Benning's first two draft picks when he came to Vancouver in Thatcher Demko. And you might be saying to yourself that this data, we're just looking at one season. We're looking at a flash in the pan. We don't have the body of work yet to suggest that Thatcher Demko is at that level. You'd be wrong. Because when I look at the goal saved above average expected mark across the entire NHL over the last two seasons, Thatcher Demko is four spots behind Jacob Markstrom. Think about that. Think about the discrepancy in games played. We're talking about a four-spot difference between the two. And many people considered last year a lost one for Thatcher Demko. Now, Demko is signed for one more year after this one at a very, very team-friendly mark. We're talking about $1.05 million. Jacob Markstrom, his contract expires on July 1st. He's at $3.666 million and looking to cash in. This is his last chance at a big deal. Now, you might be saying to yourself that there is too much invested in this team for the front office to make that switch, to make that call. The risk of doing nothing is even larger. Because you've got two divisional rivals in Alberta, two up-and-coming teams themselves in desperate need of a goaltender, and you know that the vultures are circling. Now, if the Canucks don't get in front of this, and they let it play out, and this becomes Dan Hamhuis' redux, this can bite them in the rear end. And it won't take long for that to happen either. And it won't be a one- or two-year thing. Jacob Markstrom is on the older side for goaltenders, but he's hardly playing in his late 30s. He's hardly Ryan Miller, people. At some point, this team needs to find a way to save money. And they need to find a way to do it in different creative ways. Because when you invest $3 million in your fourth-line center, $4.3 million in your third-line center, there have to be sacrifices elsewhere. Right now, the team's looking at a situation where their hand is being forced. And they have to make that sacrifice in net. They have to have the courage to get in front of this situation, move Jacob Markstrom to the Eastern Conference while his value is at its peak. They need to take the plunge. Do they need to do it in November? December? January? February? No, but they got to do it before the trade deadline. They have to invest in Thatcher Demko because the future is now and it looks pretty damn good. And listen, this is what we talked about last week. That was our poll question last week. You know, whether they should be extending Markstrom right now because, you know, you got Demko ready to go. One more year left on his contract after this. You know you're not going to be able to get Markstrom under a one, perhaps two-year deal. It's not going to be that. Not happening. It's going to be four minimum. Minimum. Yep. And now we're going to talk to Joe Roberts on the other side from the Utica Comets, of course, the voice of the Comets. And we're going to talk about Michael DiPietro because Michael DiPietro, guess what? He's making noise in the American Hockey League right now. Oh, is he ever. He's played six games for the Comets right now, posting a 196 GAA and a .929 save percentage. Like, I mean, those are, I know, I get it. It's the American Hockey League. We see Garrett Sparks is the best goalie in the league right now. We saw him get his shot in the NHL. But that didn't work out. is 20. Exactly. And he's a rookie. Exactly. And there are some in the and Canucks organization who, over the last few years, have shifted their belief to, to one that suggests Michael DiPietro is the future of their crease. But even, even still, 
if you're going to make a move on Markstrom, well, he's well, he's hot in terms of being able to to move him. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. You got to do it now. You got to turn the uh, the page, move Demko up. You know, maybe maybe DiPietro spends the entire season in the AHL if you were to move Markstrom and you get someone to fill behind Demko. But you, you don't want to be sit there with you know holding the bag and having nothing. What happens if they don't trade him at this deadline? Right, they get I, they get I, nothing I am, for him. I 100. I shouldn't say 100%. I, you know who's going to be in the hunt for Jacob Markstrom this I, summer. Yeah. It's going to be the San Jose Sharks. Edmonton Oilers. The Edmonton Oilers. Although and Mike's going to be well. Yeah, he has, but he's yeah. 38. Yeah. And the Calgary Flames. Yep. Yeah, you're going to let don't him walk in, into a, t- a team in your division? Yeah. If they don't get in front of this, yeah. this has the potential to bite them in a way that's going to make the ha- Dan Ham Hughes misplay look like a, a little love bite. You, you know, know what? I, I, I believe we talked about this last week because it was one of our main topics of conversation throughout the show, being that it was our poll question. I, I, I see them giving them an extension. I do too. And, at and that I think point, that's going to hurt them. Well, you know what it does? The, if they give him an extension, they've thrown the towel in on Thatcher Demko as their starter. That and they have be, to move him. That would and be they a, have to move him. That would be absolutely terrible. All right, well, let's get some inside information on Michael DiPietro. We'll get it from Joe Roberts on the other side. He's the voice of the Utica Comets, and he joins Rinkwide next, right here on TSN 1040. So, Mom, you got all your stuff? Yep, snowboards in the back. And your wrist guards, helmet. Oh, come on, seriously? Listen, I need you to be safe if you want to land that 360. <sighs> Stay confident out there this season in a Ford Edge built with Ford Copilot 360, a suite of standard driver assist technologies that help keep you covered from every angle. Right now, get 0% purchase financing for up to 60 months on most new 2019 Edge models, plus no extra charge winter tires, rims, and sensors. Get the SUV that's built for confidence. Get your Edge at your local Ford store or Ford.ca. Called me out, and I am. You know the the meme with the kid in the vein. That's me. When you start talking about the podcast, it's like review it. See me. I always refer to it's always sunny in Philadelphia, where they have that dating app, and you can give somebody stars. I don't know if you've seen it. You probably haven't seen it. There's you know probably what? like no. three people right now that are like, oh yeah, I totally know that. Anyway, they want a five star rating, so. He's a five-star man. We're a five-star show. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we'll talk to Joe Roberts in just a moment. We're also going to talk to Amanda Stein. She is the in-house reporter for the New Jersey Devils. Amanda's a great follow on Twitter, by the way. I've been following her uh, for a few years. Uh, always has great stuff to bring to the table. And we are going to get uh, the tail of the tape, so to speak, of the New Jersey Devils as they uh, come into town tomorrow to face off against the Canucks in the final edition of the Hughes Bowl which, uh, of course, Jack is uh, up one nothing right now on his brother Quinn after that one nothing win uh, over the uh, Devils there. Yeah, it's an air bubble, all right? It happens. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Full question today. Do the Canucks need to implement load management? with Chris Tanov or Alex Edler. And guys, getting a great response for this. It's a two-show um, poll question and 715 votes in right now. Still going strong. 76% of you saying yes. So I guess uh, a lot of these people want to do the Kawhi Leonard. I guess it's, it's the new hot thing in sports nowadays. We'll see if other sports end up doing it. Just the NBA uh, are the ones that have taken it on as of recent or I guess born out of the NBA. But at the same time, too, um, 
You know, we're starting to see the NBA sort of fight back against it as well, right? So. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Love it. I, that, can't, I can't hear Kawhi Leonard without thinking about that laugh. Oh, but what, what's, the, what's the other one as well that we had from the other day where he was doing... Uh, <laughs> oh, where he's holding hey, the hey, mic? Hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey. There it is. <laughs> So much enthusiasm. Now you're you're probably too young to remember Fat Albert. Do you? Do you oh, I, I oh, okay. know Fat okay. Albert. I, that mean, is, I, I have parents. That is right out of the book of Fat Albert, and he sounds exactly <laughs> like that. Uh, I know Bill Cosby's a bit of a, a four-letter word these days, but uh, that was some of his finest work back then. But yeah, Kawhi Leonard sounded like that. But uh, before we get to Joe, though, you know this whole load management thing. You know, it's in the NBA now. The NBA is starting to fight against it because they don't want guys just taking nights off because. They got to sell the stars, and the NFL's done it for a while too. The, okay, the NFL doing it. So think about Week 17. How many starters actually? That is play? true. That is, and that's true. why fantasy football ends Week 60. Yeah. Um, do you see it coming into the NHL? Not just with the Canucks, because uh, like we, uh, it'd be tough to say that the Canucks will be the first ones to do this because they're never really the ones that are ahead of the curve, at least with this new regime, uh, as opposed to maybe the past with the Gillis era and whatnot. But do you see a team actually, you know, taking this on in the NHL? Well, maybe not in my lifetime. I mean, the way that the NHL reacts to trends and and rather doesn't react, it's it's really kind of the thing with this league. They just every trend that you see in other sports, you just have to put a handicap on the league for about 20 to 30 years and maybe it'll come to the NHL. But the culture around the NHL is so rigid. I mean, who knows? Who yeah. can say really? Yeah. Um yeah, we're going to talk to Joe Roberts in just a moment here from uh, the Utica comments. So we can ask Joe about it as well, maybe get his thoughts on whether he'll he thinks it would be something that would work. Um, we I definitely want to talk about Michael DiPietro. Uh, Rick Dollywall did mention earlier on Sports Saturday that uh, they, there's a guy right now that not a lot of people are talking about um, but is one of those players that is doing some damage down uh, for the Utica Comets. The Comets are on a four-game losing skid at the moment. They sit 8-4 and four right now. They are fifth place in the North Division uh, in the AHL. Uh, um, you know, they started off the season red hot. They won eight in a row. Now they've lost uh, four in a row. I think some of this has got to be attributed to the fact that, you know, they don't have Sven Berchi anymore. Uh, Austin Sautner, although I don't even know if he was there. And if he was, it wasn't for very long. Jalen Chatfield's not there anymore. So basically they're losing players because the Canucks need them right now, which clearly is hurting their uh, winning uh, uh, ability to win, that is. Yeah, of course. And I mean, you take out Sven Berchi alone. I mean, that's, that's an Elite AHL forward, and you think about the fact that they lost Alex Biega. I know he didn't contribute to the winning streak to begin, but mm-hmm. again, that's an elite AHL defenseman, all things being relative. And it's it's not that surprising when you look at it in that context. That said, I think somebody who's going to have an even better idea of how this is going is is our man Joe Roberts with the Utica Comets, and we've got him on the line. Welcome to the program, Joe. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, probably in a slightly better spirits than the Utica Comets, who after starting off incredibly hot, have kind of cooled down a bit. What can you attribute to that? I mean, the obvious factor might be the fact that some of their better players are up with the Canucks right now. Have there been any other contributing factors to what's what's going on with the, the Comets in the AHL? Well, I think it's just the fact that, you know, 
Yeah, you know, I, I'm not sure if I can pinpoint it. Let's, uh, I always like to, to kind of throw a, a veil over every conversation I have is remember, I'm just a radio guy. I'm paid to describe the action with play-by-play. So uh, my analytical look is maybe a little different than what a coach might think or or, uh, or somebody in, in uh, the hockey ops department. But at any rate, uh, I think what kind of slowed things down was running into hot goaltending. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, a team that was making hockey look easy, uh, all of a sudden realized they're shooting on a target that's only, uh, you know, four feet by six feet instead of what, when it looked like they were shooting at a soccer goal. So um, I think it, it just turned into something where maybe sticks were gripped a little bit too tight and uh, that balanced scoring had some trouble being maintained. And, um, and I think maybe a situation where uh, the extra pass was maybe being made, uh, uh, and and while it might have worked through the first eight games of the season, those windows are maybe closing a little bit tighter as teams are, are finding their stride and finding their rhythm here uh, in the second week now of November. So um, I think there's probably a couple of things that have attributed to it, but when it boils down to it, um, you know, when you start the season 8-0 and and make something like this have a little bit less sting to it, uh, at least from my perspective, so, uh, you know, obviously the comments are going to want to get off it, and hopefully it can be tonight here uh, on the road, maybe take away some of that pressure of playing on all mice and, and get one done away from home in Binghamton. Rink wide on TSN 1040. We're joined by Joe Roberts of the Utica Comets. Joe, I wanted to ask you about a, a maybe lesser-known prospect among Canucks fans, but somebody the team signed to a free agent deal out of the CHL last year. That would be Mitch Elliott gets his first goal of professional hockey, at least at the AHL level, with the Utica Comets yesterday. Uh, he's getting some more action as players graduate to the NHL, whether on recall or full time. What can you tell our listeners about Mitch Elliott and you know what you've seen from him in these early returns? Well, you know, he's young. Um, yeah, and I think that sometimes it's hard to remember that a lot of these guys that we talk about are, are 19, 20, 21 years old. Elliot's part of that young crew. I, I think just 20 still. Um, you know, he. I, I think what you notice from him right away is that he has a booming shot. Uh, he can really shoot the puck, and he doesn't even need a lot of space to really wind up and, and sort of uncork a slap shot. He has an elite level uh, snapshot. Some of the some of the some of the shots that he lets fly in practice make everybody turn their head. And I think what's being done with him as well, you kind of saw earlier in the season, he was sent down to Kalamazoo to go play to, to play, right? You don't want people sitting on the shelf. You want them to play, and I think that that's exactly uh, what they wanted to do with Elliott. They wanted them to get game action. They got him into a few contests in Kalamazoo, and now, um, based on the way that the, the, the yo-yo has been going up and down with recalls and stuff like that, you know, with uh, Sautner, Chatfield, etc., you get the uh, the young D-man an opportunity to play. And when he gets an opportunity to play, he gets an opportunity to play on the power play. And, um, you know, he, he mentioned that in practice. They were talking about getting pucks to the net. Uh, I think maybe he looked a little apprehensive to shoot the puck uh, in his first couple games. But now I think he's ready to go bombs away. And when he can do that, I think that makes him a player that uh, can make a lot of noise. Uh, Joe, Nikolai Goldobin is the kind of player here in this market that has just been debated so much. And as he got sent down to the AHL. We saw these great numbers. He gets 10 points in his first five games with the Comets. Over the last six games, though, of course, uh, four of those being losses for the Comets, just one point uh, for the young Russian. Uh, what's going on with Nikolai Goldobin right now? Uh, I- 
don't know. Points are hard to come by in the American Hockey League uh, for any player uh, of any level of skill. So I think that, um, you know, when you, when you are playing on a top line, you should expect to match up against other darn good players, both up front and on the back end from the opposition. And, uh, you know, it, it's just it's 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 not a tap in to pick up points in the American Hockey League. This is the second best hockey league in the world. So um, I, I just think that it's, uh, you know, the team hasn't been scoring goals. And when they're not scoring goals at five, six, seven goals a night like they were to start the season, uh, you should anticipate that the point production is going to dip like that. You know, it, it, it's been kind of a, a rough go of things as of late. The team has struggled putting the puck in the back of the net, so nobody's putting up numbers right now. Um, as far as Goldobin goes, he, he continues to work. He continues to show off his, his creative nature, uh, the way he moves the puck. The vision he has it, it continues to shine through, though, right? While the points uh, maybe haven't been coming in the last handful of games, he still does things where he has sort of those eyes in the back of his head moment where you go, wow, yeah, okay, this whole thing makes sense. Uh, yeah, I get why he was in the National Hockey League. So um, I think it's there. Uh, I just I anticipate production will come as he continues to plug away. How about his two-way game? That was something that Travis Green here really wanted him to work on, and it probably was the uh, uh, biggest you know, fault that he had for Green. How, how have you seen him playing in terms of uh, the two-way game in the AHL? Again, I mean, I, I think he looks solid on that. And, and again, I'll, I'll just sort of echo the thought that I gave a moment ago is he's playing on the top line. He's been securely fastened to that top line, which means on most nights he's going to go against the most talented players from the opposition as well. And that, that can um, that can create opportunities for a player to get exposed. And he hasn't been exposed. Um, and so showing that ability to be trustworthy on all three zones of the ice is something that, uh, you know, as you guys just mentioned, was something that, uh, you know, they wanted him to work on. And, and I think that he has uh, certainly not been a liability by any stretch of the imagination. And, uh, you know, it, it, as far as, uh, like I said, you know, I, I don't necessarily go through it with as fine tooth of a comb as some people obviously uh, get paid to do. Um, but from what I've seen is that there hasn't been any glaring mistakes where you say, oh, yeah, there's a, a clear and present problem with that. No, I mean, he's, he's been solid. And, and no news is good news usually on that front, right? If you don't notice it, it means that everything is probably going okay. Yeah, that's right. And it's uh, Rink Wide on TSN 1040 with Joe Roberts from the Utica Comets. I was wondering what you could tell us about Brogan Rafferty, somebody who's leading the Comets blue line with six points in 12 games. He had a great debut last year with the Canucks, looked good in the preseason. A lot of people thought he might make the team out of camp, maybe as a seventh defenseman. And there was a little bit of a surprise there when the Canucks called up Jalen Chatfield instead. What can you tell us about Rafferty's game and, and why you think that he didn't get the call? Well, I mean, I think he's one of those, you know, for Vancouver being in a Canadian market, you know, you you, you consider that uh, the most popular route to the pros and, and to the NHL is through the Canadian Hockey League. Uh, and, and, you know, I think he just took an alternate route. He went through the college program and then going through the college program and allowed him to uh, be a late bloomer. Let's face it, guys need more time. Some guys need more time than others, and maybe he needs more time. And maybe that's why he flew under the radar. Um, and then after a solid career at Quinnipiac, he's able to have a transition that has uh, fewer growing pains because he's a little more mature, uh, more mature uh, probably physically, emotionally. Um, and I think that that goes a long way. What I can tell you about his game on the ice is that he's unbelievably confident with the puck. 
Um, and for good reason. I mean, he's got really good hands. He, he made a couple moves last night where he kind of, for a second, holds your breath and say, oh, you know, that seems like a dangerous place to do that. But he makes it look so routine and he makes it seem so stress-free. It sort of gives you this level of calm. You're like, no, he can pull it off. Like, it's okay if he tries that because he really is a good puck handling D-man. And, um, you know, he's, he's, he has impressed me quite a bit this season. And it's been a joy to watch. How about Michael DiPietro putting up some pretty good numbers right now for a young goaltender? And uh, there were some that were speculating he wouldn't even play in the A this year and that the Canucks would maybe start him in the East Coast League. But, hey, he's looking right now like he's uh, worthy of being uh, playing in the American League. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the future on Mikey DiPietro is obviously to be seen. What I can say about him and what I'll tell anybody that's willing to listen, um, his future as a human being just on planet Earth is unbelievable. He's such a, a, a unique human. Um, he's so lighthearted and upbeat and has such positive energy and just loves being around other people. He has been a joy, and, and I do not say this lightly, an absolute joy to work with um, so far. On the ice, man, does he battle. He, he just doesn't quit. Um, he's never out of a play. He moves post to post so well. Uh, for a 20-year-old, he, he already has sort of this, um, uh, you know, he has all of Utica behind him. He's already beloved by the community and by the people in the arena. I've been so impressed with him both on and off the ice. And, and I think as a netminder, uh, he does a lot of things in, in practice that just make you go, wow. And then when you get into the game, he's never out of a play. I mean, look at last night. He was lights out. Uh, you know, a couple of, of uh, blind shots and a redirection over a 34-second span. Those are the only two goals he allowed all night. Other than that, he was just he was just airtight. And, and uh, it was a tough break for him to not be able to come up with the win. But, you know, the numbers are, are, are sort of the proof that on the ice he's doing everything he can at an, at an insanely high level. Um, and it has been an absolute privilege to watch. Well, it doesn't get a better review than that. So uh, great stuff, uh, Joe. Thanks for joining us today, and, and uh, enjoy the action tonight. My pleasure, guys. Thank you. Joe Thanks, Roberts, Joe. the voice of the Utica Comets, play-by-play. Hey, how about that for DiPietro at the end there? Man, everybody you talk to. Every single person, like I, I, I has feel something like nice to say about I, I'm Mikey jacked DiPietro. Over that, yeah, yeah, no, and and it's so fun to watch. Like he is absolutely crushing it, as you See, might say, and, at the AHL level. And oh, so and and this is why this is so, you know, key right now in terms of this Markstrom stuff. I know last week we 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 presented the. You know the idea. Listen, like, what what should the Canucks do? Should they should they be signing? There were some people who were like, "Would you guys knock it off with the goalie controversy?" This and then it's like, but like seriously, they're going to have to. It's a good thing. Get ahead no. of this. Yeah, it's a good. It's, it's, a, it's great a good thing. controversy. It's a great thing. And the fact that you got Demko doing what he's doing right now, playing well. You know, Markstrom's playing well, which is good because there's an asset, especially if you want to move him. And then you got Di Pietro. I'm not talking about bringing Di Pietro up anytime soon. I want him to absolutely marinate in the American Hockey League all this year. Do all the good things that you can for the Comets. But listen, in terms of moving forward with this goaltending right now, that is a very bright spot for the Vancouver Canucks. Absolutely. And, and again, this is a rebuilding team who needs to find creative ways to... 
to, to find money that otherwise isn't available to mm-hmm. them. And I think that the crease is one of those inefficiencies that yep. they can mine. And this is why I'm looking at this situation and I'm saying doing the obvious thing, doing what's directly in front of them and extending Markstrom might not be the best answer because you take a wider lens look at this team, this organization, there's a lot of good things happening in that. Uh, lastly, on the comments here, how about that uh, report on, on Brogan Rafferty? He does things that make you hold your breath. Does that remind you of somebody else we got on the team right now? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not drawing the comparison. Don't get no, me wrong. No, I mean, but uh, when I hear stuff like that... Stylistically, you can draw up. one, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that they play a similar game, but I think that Brogan Rafferty has had those moments, and he's really acquitted himself well. Like He has distinguished himself as the Utica Comets best defenseman, and to do that as a rookie, given his circumstances, I mean, we have to grade him on a curve because he's 24 years old, right? He's not a spring chicken, but... Damn, he's still playing really well. And these college free agents, man, scratching wins as uh, Blake Found Price, wallets. Blake, Blake Price loves to call the uh, you know picking up extra assets in terms of draft picks to scratch and win. The college free agents are exactly the same way. And if you put in the work, like clearly the Canucks did with Rafferty, you know perhaps he becomes a roster player, and ultimately that's what you want when you're uh, trying to mine ta- talent. All right, on the other side, we are going to head to New Jersey. We're going to talk to Amanda Stein. She is the Devils in house reporter so keep it locked right here it's Rinkwide, the show that always scores on tsn 1040 the hope for the city breakfast takes place on december 4th at the vancouver convention center west this is an opportunity to come together bring in the holiday season and recognize and celebrate the importance and impact of philanthropy in our communities for more information visit salvationarmy.ca catch up on any show you missed on tsn 1040 by simply downloading the podcast at tsn 1040.ca all of the daily and weekly shows are available Plus play-by-play and more. TSN 1040 podcasts are powered by Metro Ford. November 2019 is underway. This month-long fundraiser helps to raise awareness and funds for men's mental and physical health. November is the leading charity dedicated to changing the face of men's health, encouraging men worldwide to take action towards living a happier, healthier, and longer life. You can create your personalized Mo Space. To get started, visit Movember.com. Follow TSN 1040 on Instagram and TSN underscore 1040 for all the latest promotions, sports updates, and contests. That's TSN underscore 1040. For more info, check the hot wire at tsn1040.ca. Now, more of Rick Wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Wadden. And welcome back to Rinkwide. It's the show that always scores. Andrew Wadden alongside J.D. Burke. I got to cut you off, buddy. For this one? Yeah, sure. It's not the show that always scores. Oh. It's the show that never sleeps because sleep is the cousin of that. a boy. A little there you go. reference there. There you go. Yeah, yeah, buddy. I, um, I know I tried to hit you up with the Triple X Tentacio no, references. Just, just but stop with that. But, stop but, with that. But... I also kick it old school. The funny thing is, is that somebody last week was um, suggesting that, you know, when you met, you rattled off all those names, they're like, who the hell are you talking about? So I think there were some people in my court with that with some old school uh, hip hop aficionados, so to speak. Uh, guys, if you missed any of the show today, and it's been a good one so far, that interview with Joe Roberts, and that didn't pump you up for like Canuck I, Prospect Pop. on it, I man. do. Like, like, you, you we hear, always do. You hear the way people talk about Mikey Di Pietro, and it's like, man, like I, I want to be his friend. Like yeah. I want to get beers with this guy. Yeah. Like, 
Why is well, he so excellent? Why does everybody like him so much? So going from Canuck prospects, now let's move to New Jersey Devils prospects because this is a team that's got a bunch of youth uh, injected into their team. Let's talk to Amanda Stein now from uh, the New Jersey Devils uh, in-house reporter. Amanda, thank you for joining us today. Um, things must be just exciting for the Devils right now. When you look at these youngsters that you guys have uh, there in Jersey, I mean, people must be getting really excited for the likes of, you know, Jack Hughes and uh, all the other youngsters that you guys have there. You're absolutely right. And I think that, you know, having a lot of that young talent is what has made the beginning of this season disappointing for a lot of our fan base. But really, you know, Jack Hughes is the easy one being the first overall pick the way he was, you know, he played in the U.S. national development team and what he did there. But then real, another guy you really have to keep your eye on is out of the Swedish league, which is Jesper Bokvist. He joined the team for the first time this year. He was drafted in 2017 right after Nico Heischer in the second round. And our management has always said that they felt like they got a steal of Jesper Bokvist in the NHL draft in 2017. He's quick. He's smart. It's just a pretty remarkable um, kind of guy, and he's really taking, you know, he, he's playing on this team in and out of the lineup, mainly because he's coming over from the Swedish league, where he now has to adjust to the North American side of the ice, but he's a prospect that I would imagine that if he plays tomorrow against the Vancouver Canucks, he's one that you're going to want to keep your eye out for. When you look at this team right now uh, in terms of the way they're playing and, uh, you know, as much talent as they have, there there is another gear for this team. There's got to be, right? There has to be, right? Like, I'm around the team the whole time, and I, I see it in practice. You know, it's not for a lack of not working hard. They're working hard in practice. They work on every element of the game that you could possibly imagine, and when the coaching staff sees something in the game prior, you know, that really ends up being the focus during practices so it's not a lack of trying I think it's a lack of cohesiveness when you have so many new players on your team but then there's this other element and it's you know it's unfortunate but the goaltending just hasn't been where I think Ray Shiro and Tom Fitzgerald our general manager and assistant GM would want it to be Um, uh, it's been a little unpredictable let's just put it that way and when that is a bit leaky for you I mean you guys know as well as anyone that that really can hamper your team yeah, and, and I mean, you look at the two goaltenders right now in New Jersey, you're looking at an 888 with Mackenzie Blackwood, an 852 with Corey Schneider, and that's just not yeah. going to get it done at the NHL level. What about somebody that the Devils recently acquired? Are they getting to a point where they might look at giving Louis Domain uh, a look in that crease? Because, I mean, hell, can't be much worse than that right now, right? I mean, look, what it is is an internal competition. And, it, you know, it might sound strange considering it's Louis Domingue, but at the same time, uh, I know that Corey knows he's not playing up to his potential. And Mackenzie, he's been in a little bit more of a groove than Corey has been, but neither of them are satisfied with where their games have been. And one thing I've learned working for this team for the last three years is that they really pride themselves on internal competition. And so I think just even even the motion of bringing in another um, 
uh, goaltender into the organization, whether they're, you know, with New Jersey or whether they're with Binghamton. It just creates this, there's someone behind you, so you got to get your, your act together on the ice. But I think if it keeps going this way, um, in terms of these two goaltenders trying to figure out how to get into a proper group, I don't know that you have much of a choice than to try something else. Rick White on TSN 1040. We're joined by Amanda Stein with the New Jersey Devils, previewing tomorrow's tilt between the Devils and Canucks. Are the Devils at the point where they need to start considering whether to try and salvage this season with perhaps a bigger splash in net, or at the point where they start to look at recouping assets and building towards the future? Because a lot of the discussion this offseason was how does the team keep Taylor Hall? And a lot of that was rooted in trying to show him proof of concept that they can build a contender around him. Now, obviously, that hasn't worked out through the first month of the season. Which of these two paths do you envision them taking with the remaining, well, I don't know, 67 games or so? Um, you know, your guess is kind of as good as mine, and I know that might sound like a bit of a cop-out, um, but... I know Taylor really well, as well as as I can working in my position, and I know he's really enjoyed his time in New Jersey and is currently enjoying it. Obviously, the idea of not like not winning right now wears on everyone, but I know that he's had a good time in New Jersey, and, and I think you're absolutely right. There's this, you know, wanting to prove to one another, um, you know, how what direction things are going. But I think what's not talked about enough, to be quite honest with you, is that Taylor's coming off of a season where he played only 33 games and a lot of this season results aside in terms of what's happening with the Devils in the win-loss column he feels that he needs to prove to himself that he can be 100% healthy again and contribute at that heart trophy kind of pace and I think he'd be the first one to tell you that right now he's not playing up to what he feels is his full potential. Anytime you talk to him in the locker room after a game, win or loss, he can, he can often be heard saying that, you know, every day he feels like he's getting better, but it's not quite there yet. And he wants to, you know, prove to himself that he can be that player again. So it's a really tricky kind of conversation because both sides have a lot to prove to one another. Taylor's been hurt a lot in his career. We all know that. So what type of commitment do you want long-term to a player like that? Um, And then vice versa, you know, Taylor might be looking at it. We have all the assets right now. What is not working? So there's a lot of things to go through. Um, Again, I know it sounds like a bit of a cop-out, but the two sides are meeting, and that's the first start to, to any of this. Yeah, I mean, at least the good thing about that is if, you know, the player does want to move on, uh, it is an asset and a yeah. good one at that that somebody would definitely pay a premium for. Uh, we're speaking to Amanda Stein, New Jersey Devils in-house uh, reporter. Uh, Amanda, John Hines, how hot is that seat right now? I mean, it's obviously a tough situation to be in. But at the same time, um, I know that Ray and his staff are very committed to John Hines and the type of guy he is in the locker room and his motivational capabilities. You know, bringing Tom Fitzgerald down onto the bench is a way of getting a firsthand look of what's going on. I'm sure it's not comfortable for John Hines, but that's just the situation they're rolling with. The thing with, you know, Ray Shiro is that he can be very committed to the people that he brought in and he's also a smart enough hockey man to know that sometimes 
gelling takes time. Um, and everyone's quick to pull the trigger, but the ultimately the only person that matters in this scenario is John Hines and Ray Shiro. How about P.K. Subban? How has P.K. been for uh, the team? I, I mean, big personality, we all know that, but 15 games in here uh, with the Devils, just five points. That's not really the pace that we're used to when it comes to P.K. It's not, but you're seeing a little bit more like in terms of flashes of who PK used to be. I had the pleasure. I worked at TSM 690 in Montreal for seven, eight years, and I was there through the course of the entire progress of PK's career. So I have a pretty good bar on you know what he used to be versus what happened in Nashville and now. And he and John Hines and uh, Coach Alain Nahoudin, which is our defensive coach, had a chat with him about two, three weeks ago maybe more like two weeks ago. And they said to him that you're trying to do too much. We know what situation we're in as a team right now. We know things are really difficult. And because PK is the type of guy that he is, he wants to make it better. He wants to do everything he can in a game to make it better. But we also know that when PK does try to do too much as a player, it often can lead to some mistakes and can often end up in the back of the other net. So he's now toned down his game a little bit, and you're starting to see him be a little more, um, I, I guess maybe he's not producing the points, but he's very steady back there as a defenseman right now. And that's what this team really needs. What? Well, how about Nikita Gusev? I mean, this is an interesting player. Um, got himself quite a contract for a player that doesn't really have a whole lot of NHL pedigree. So far, bit of a slow start for him. Well, he's got four goals in 12 games. That's okay. I'm all right with that. But just five points, though, just a single assist. Um, is this... I didn't realize I was reading. Like, I was oh, sorry. <laughs> There's someone in the background. I thought that was you, Amanda. <laughs> oh, no, not me. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Are you good? Sorry, about <laughs> no, you're answering it, somebody it else happens. here. My last radio hit, I had a, a dog barking in the there background. So you have my oh, sympathies. Lovely. I know. I'm sitting, I'm sitting at a table with my dad and my sister. No problem. <laughs> you might have heard their <laughs> She sounds a lot like you, actually. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so as getting back to my uh, question, Nikita Gusev, I mean, you know, like I said, you know, older player in terms of getting into the NHL in his rookie season, got the contract, but uh, it was quite a lot of pressure on the the young man from Russia. Yeah, and it's this really interesting case because he's 27 years old and we're always referring to him as a rookie because he really is. In the NHL, he's a rookie, um, which is very bizarre for a 27-year-old with as much experience as, as he does have. But he's unique in the way that we know how gifted he is and how highly talented he is, but... Again, just like as we started the segment talking about Jesper Bofus, who's quite a bit younger, you know, Nikita Gusev has never played in North America before. He was successful in the KHL playing on the bigger ice surface, playing in the Olympics and all that. But again, there's this adjustment process that I don't think we really quite understand the same way a player who is on the ice making that transfer from different ice surfaces so what the coaching staff have done with Nikita Gusev because they know how talented he is and what a game changer he can really be is he spent a couple of games up in the press box and it didn't go over very well with the fan base just because there is so much you know flash when it comes to Nikita but 
They put him up in the press box sitting next to um, Patrick Eliash, who has been working with the team on and off throughout the year, and had him talk to him, you know, in specific plays that were happening in the game. You know, look how much time you might actually have or look how much space you might actually have. Um, And he's come back and he's really made a difference and adjusted his game to a level where I think we're just going to start to see him get more and more comfortable. And you don't want to let that guy in the slot because he's got a laser of a shot and he can be so crafty. And I think he's starting to figure it out. I think he's starting to figure out the small ice surface. Rinkwide on TSN 1040. We're speaking with Amanda Stein and the rest of the Stein family as well from the New Jersey Devils. And I just wanted to get one more question in here, Amanda. And you've been so gracious with your time and we appreciate it. I wanted to ask you a little bit about Jesper Bratt because, I mean, he came out of nowhere. Sixth round pick, yeah. makes the team like one year later in his draft plus two season. I noticed, though, this year his ice time is down almost a full three minutes. Uh, where does he stand right now? Because it kind of feels like he, he exploded like as if shot out of a cannon from where he was drafted and we're just waiting for that next kind of step from him is he ready to take it i, I, I do think so I, I you know that first year you're absolutely right. i think that's like the best way of putting it he really shot out of a cannon everyone was like no one knew who he was whether it was the fan base or me like in my first year with the team no one had any idea who this kid was and he came in and he had an excellent camp and he had an excellent first year and then last year he, um, you know, got hit in the jaw with a puck in practice and had a broken jaw and was out a couple weeks. Um, but now I, I think it's sort of a product of what's going on throughout the entire lineup when it comes to Jesper this year so far because there is so much line changing and figuring out what combinations or what pairings work with one another that sometimes the you know he's not getting as much ice time as you would see from him in the past and one of the areas in his game that at the beginning of the year even though I guess we're still at the beginning of the year um really wasn't there was the way he played like his physical game it wasn't there the way he used to charge and take charge of carrying the puck through the neutral zone we didn't really see that from him and he was another player who was uh, not even benched he was put in the press box for, box for two consecutive games and then he came back two games ago or three games ago and he shot out of that cannon again and you see this next level so he's also another player that you really want to look out for um, especially in that Vancouver game coming up tomorrow because he's on a line or he should be on a line anyways with Jack Hughes and his good friend Jesper Bokefist which is all speed all talent and uh, could be a world beating line Sounds like some tough love being handed out there in New Jersey, but when you're sitting with the second least amount of points in the league, uh, some tough love's going to have to be given. Going to be an interesting matchup tomorrow night, the way the Canucks have come off uh, that two-game roadie. They've got a full, complete day off today, but an afternoon affair is always a tough one to get up for. Amanda, appreciate your time, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, guys. And does does Quinn Hughes score this time? Yeah. Jack scored in the last matchup. We'll have to see the Hughes Bowl part two. We'll see if Quinn can even the score. So he was a palooza. He was a palooza. That's what I'm going with. Please, I've I've been living the palooza for the last like four months. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Amanda. Take care. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Amanda Stein, New Jersey Devils in-house reporter. She good. 
And she's uh, like, like I said, she was a TSN uh, six ninety in Montreal uh, before that, covering the Canadians. And I remember when she made the move uh, down south to work it with the Devils. Uh, an interesting move for her. I mean, you go from a hockey mecca like Montreal, not that New Jersey isn't still a good hockey town, but you go from a hockey mecca like uh, Montreal to go and work with the Devils. But uh, she's clearly right dialed in. They've got an interesting lineup. I mean, if you look at their they line, just need con- a goalie. like if you look at if yeah, exactly. If you look at them on paper, you're like, damn, like that's a There's pretty good looking there. team. I mean, Heischer, Hughes, Brat, Boquist, Hall. I mean, Gusev on your on your third line. You make a Travis Zajac. I mean, say what you want about Travis Zajac nowadays in his career, but I mean, Wayne Simmons is your fourth liner as well, uh, a player who's had a, a great run in the NHL. Well, somebody we didn't get to, and maybe I can ask you real quick because I know we're up against it. Will Butcher? What happened to Will Butcher? Here was a guy that coming out of college, a bunch of people were were fighting over, and he ends up signing with New Jersey. Was it? Did he sign? He didn't sign. He was drafted by Colorado. He was drafted I by Colorado. Yeah, and he and went then, the the yeah. loophole, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, there were there were some people fighting over him. He's a third pairing guy now. Well, uh, I I really don't see there being a huge issue. I mean, yeah. if you look at his his ice time, he's playing you know one minute fewer than he was last year. He's you know, producing at a pretty similar rate. I wouldn't panic about Will Butcher. He's only 24 years old. Bright future ahead of him. He's part of that growing group, that nucleus that they're going to build around for the future future in New Jersey, and I think that he has a big role to play in it. I'll tell you what. uh, Key key factors for them this season. Clearly, Taylor Hall's number one. Mm -hmm. That is going to be huge, because the thing is, too, is that if Hall says to them, listen, I ain't signing here, well, then you can move him, and you know you can get a premium for him. Secondly, John Hines. Like, that seed is is burning hot right now. And whether they end up sticking it out with him. But uh, thirdly, I think that Gusev contract, that is, I mean, to throw what about up... the goaltending? There's well, another two yeah, years yeah, of Schneider yeah, at six. Yeah. Another two years. The goaltending's definitely an issue, but that Gusev contract could be something that bites him in the ass because that that was a lot of money for a guy that hadn't proven anything. And yeah. like I said, at 27 years old, as a rookie, what's he making? Over five, I believe it is? No, he's only at four and a half. I mean, that's, that's a pretty low-risk bet. And every sure. indication was he was going to be a star in the NHL. That's the indication. You better hope that that comes through. All right. Rink wide. One more segment to go. Then we'll bid you farewell. So keep it locked right here. TSN 1040. This team is going to come out with tomorrow night or tomorrow afternoon. That is. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting because it's one of those trap games, right? A little bit. That's that's how you describe it. Like this has the potential to be one where the Canucks are at home. They've got a day off. They could get themselves into all kinds of trouble. And and that's what a, I'm, I'm hoping they don't. you got a team ready to bounce right back in New you know, Jersey with their backs against the walls. I hope they look at this as a work day and not a pleasure day. Right? Because I know they came off that. It's, it's tough. They came off that two-game roadie. Well, we'll have to see how it goes. That's the music we're getting plan. The Oscar yeah, we're getting the Oscar treatment here. Rate and review the show, people. Do it. That is Find right. us on iTunes. Find us on iTunes. You can hear the podcast on tsn1040.ca as well. I want to thank Harmon Dial, Joe Roberts, and Amanda Stein for joining the show. For Jason Croker producing the show. For J.D. Burke co-hosting the show. I'm Andrew Wadden. Have a fantastic weekend, everybody. We'll see you next week right here on Rank Wide.